This episode is brought to you by the Queer Christian Fellowship Conference, hosted in Chicago this January. Our Bible app will be there tabling at the event, and I myself am presenting a workshop on theologizing your personal experience. And this year, we're trying something new. We will be recording a live episode of Lord Have Mercy at the conference. I would love to see some of you listeners there. If you are excited about this and want to attend the conference, you can get a discount of $10 off when you use the promo code PODCAST19. Please come! Let's make it official. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. Today's guest is OBA author, Reverend Jacob Breeze. He is the pastor of the Holy Family Church in Houston. He wrote a devotional for the app about the liturgical calendar and the importance of following all the way through and not just at special holidays like Christmas. <laughs> you got me. Um, I gotta say, I love talking to this man and let's hope he decides to contribute more to the app. We'll see what happens. And now, Jacob Reese. So I asked you a daunting question. <laughs> Why <laughs> would you start your own church? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, it took me a while to get some... Um, I guess to get the proper vocabulary for it, but um, I, <laughs> we, we really want to be a church for people um, without a church. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of ways that I've discovered that people don't have a church. They either never grew up in one or had one and then for whatever reason could uh, could no longer be uh, affiliated or uh, many folks are just saying, I'm, you know, I'm going to give church one more try. And the churches that I had participated in in the past, um, <laughs> uh, maybe I should just say the easiest way to put it is that um, – when I, as a, a clergy person, yeah. um, kind of looked around at um, m- most of the churches that I knew uh, and had participated in, by and large, most of the time, they're just existing for the people who are already there. Um, and usually people like me, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> white, gu- white guys with a, a <laughs> woman for a spouse and some kids and, uh, you know, a degree and, um, you know. Uh, there, there's plenty of that already. Um, and so many of my friends were just, it was just never going to be their church ever. Um, so I just thought, well, let's, let's be church. Let's at least try (laughs) to be a church for people that don't have one. So it's been a lot of fun. That's dope. It sounds a lot like what I did with, um, our Bible app, just like there's no resources let's get some resources because people are already creating them, you know? Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, anytime you do church planting, I mean, you've got to do some pretty serious work to make, um, uh, to watch out for when your colonial impulses kick in. Um, um, but, um, if you can, 
keep those controlled by your community. Um, you can really discover that's like, you know, I'm not saying that we have got all this figured out and we're amazing, but we got a whole lot of people that what's currently available is just not working. Um, and it's just never going to work. So until someone else offers something, we can at least say we tried. And so so you decided to build this church and people actually showed up. Yeah. (laughs) That's another thing. Cause like church is, I mean, it doesn't really have the the best marketing because it's called church. (laughs) That's right. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I am the, I represent like the oldest persons in our church. Uh, And, um, we have, uh, you know, my kids are, um, the white kids and, uh, there's some other uh, white children as well, but we are, pretty racially, ethnically diverse. Uh, we have many uh, queer persons and persons of color and queer persons of color uh, in leadership at our church. And, um, you know, we, we're here in Houston, Texas. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think there are plenty of people who uh, were actually willing to, uh, to give church a try uh, if they knew that it could actually be for them. Yeah. Um, and the people that they love and um, the people in their home. And um, so, yeah, people show up, but um, you know, we just, it was a long time before we ever started to do like any services or anything. Um, We really just started. uh, Well, actually it's one of the things I wrote about in the, Mm-hmm. Um, the devotions is parties. We just threw parties for like a year and a half. That's great. Yeah. We just, you know, um, so I, my barber who I told you about, uh, I just, you know, invited him and some other folks that I had met, um, at parties myself that I had went to, or, you know, like in the cafes or whatever. And I just got, and I just got them together and I said, I'm going to throw some amazing parties. Uh, I'll take care of all the decor and it's going to look good. And (laughs) we're going to have some (laughs) really good music and amazing food and drinks. Uh, but y'all are the only people I'm inviting because my idea was, if you can't invite people to a really great party, there's no way in hell you're ever going to invite somebody to, you know, like a, a proper Sunday church or something. So, so you we, tr- yeah. How did you transition from like party, which is community building? I can't tell you how many friends I have met in restaurants and bars in Philadelphia. And now yeah. like we do have like really like strong, intimate friendships, but it started out at, like a bar crawl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we did. We did a number of bar crawls as a church. Just, just created so an Instagram. Cool. We just did an Instagram and said, hey, we're going to, you know, pop up at Eighth Wonder Brewery. You know, come hang out. And then how did it get to actually like church church? I, don't, I mean, like, I don't know why this is so hard for me to grasp because I know yeah. that like, um, hymns started off as bar songs like that was their marketing scheme they were like we just got to change the words and like give them hope and faith and then those people singing those hymn bar songs ended up in pews like what an amazing thing the puritans did (laughs) right everybody gets one i guess Yeah. (laughs) yeah i don't know um i mean god i guess um Yeah, yeah, yeah. You went until they were real drunk, and then you just led them to the church. Like, uh, now we have some communion wine here. Uh, now that you're here, um, <laughs> please come forward. Uh, no, I don't know. I think, 
Um, I don't know. I think we just attracted people who, um, whose uh, <laughs> BS detectors were probably as finely tuned, if not more than mine. Mm-hmm. And we were just like, we're just not going to, we're going to try to care about the things that we all say we actually care about. Um, you know, one of the things that we've said is repeatedly, like on our leadership team, when we have to come up with a decision about something that we want to do or not do in the life of the churches, we'll just come back and say, okay, well, if we did that decision, would everyone around this circle still feel proud to be a part of this church? And if not, that's pretty easy. Um, and we just wanted to be able to be a part of a community of faith where we didn't have to like kind of plug our nose or cross our fingers or be embarrassed to say that we were affiliated with um, that really touches my heart. I, I yeah, that makes so much sense. And I just think that it's really hard to find, like you said, those church spaces that are willing to be community driven and it be about the people and not the rules, you know, which is yeah, one of the reasons why I think so many of us just stay away from church altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love it. I think so, too. The other thing that I've seen, and maybe this is more of a Texas thing, but um, if it's not about the rules, it's often about the pastor, right? And so, um, oh. you know, you so so often down here, there's like the name of the church and then the pastor's name, ministries, right next to it. Oh. And it's always a he, and there's always a picture of the first lady. And you, oh. know, you just have the, the you know, the, these people doing, doing a thing, and I don't have any interest in that. Uh, oh. Either really so, cool. really trying to figure out how to make it a community thing has been a challenge, but it's been a lot of fun. It sounds like you guys are going to have fun the entire way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my! Next time you in Houston, come hang out with us. I would love to. Consider it done. We'll I have family. Our party. Absolutely. Ugh. I mean, the we we're sitting out here in um in Philly, and I feel a lot of times I feel like I'm having a party with my two co-workers because they're just so fun um but you talk a lot about your your whiteness being this thing that you are um so aware of has it always been that way have you always just been so aware of like wanting to ha- be around people that don't necessarily look like you no i think it'd be um <laughs> a lie to say so <laughs> I, i've just always been aware. thank you for your honesty <laughs> no um, no, uh, I credit a lot of that to, um, a lot of my learning, um, has just come from friendships, um, real people, um, who have just, um, uh, made my life better simply by being in it. Um, yeah. and, um, academically I credit a lot of that to, uh, my seminary studies and really just trying to take that seriously. And, um, I had some amazing professors that really, you know, asked me to ask questions that I hadn't really asked before and uh, found the courage to ask them. That's so. dope. And do you want to give a shout out to your alma maters? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, to my MDiv, sir. Yeah. Sorry, BA. They're, they're, they would actually be fine with me not mentioning them anyway. Um, <laughs> they're probably uh, a school soul force would have hit gone, gone on through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went to Duke Divinity School and, um, you know, professors that I loved there, uh, Professor Ebony Marshall Terman, um, Willie Jennings, Douglas Campbell, uh, Sam Wells, Stanley Howard Ross, Helen Davis. I mean, just 
amazing people that really asked me to ask lots of questions that I'd never asked before. So they've been really influential. To me. That's dope. I'm excited to see, uh, to find out if anybody, any, any one of those people is actually listening. <laughs> That'd be really cool. Awesome. Um, so we ran into each other online. Um, yep. I sent your church a welcoming packet and we started to talk, uh, via email and I got to, I got to find out if you would be willing to write a devotional for us. And you totally yep. came through. Um, <laughs> I tried, I tried. I hope it's okay. I mean, I when, when, you, when you first wanted to write something about the Advent and uh, liturgical calendars, I, um, I didn't quite know what to do because I have never had mm. much interest in like liturgy and yeah. I, yeah. And so like, the way that you were able to write this um, seven-day devotional is just—I think—it's just amazing because you basically you basically do liturgy with training wheels. Yes. <laughs> it's just like, yes. oh yes. me who have no idea. This is why it is so freaking cool. And like while I was reading, I was just like, this dude is a nerd, but also I'm really oh I'm, absolutely. <laughs> I'm really Dark digging Jeremy. it. I'm really digging it. My favorite line at the beginning was, hmm. um, let me go look for it. Um, binge watch the liturgical calendar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> binge watch yeah. the liturgical calendar. Tell yeah. us more. Well, so, <laughs> thank you. Like, honestly, that's really made me just feel really so... <laughs> I, re I receive that as affirmation. That feels oh, nice. yeah. that makes me feel really good. So thank you. Um, well, and and really, um, I have to be because our church is so we are so deeply swimming in the liturgical waters with people who have never had church before. So they don't. No one knows anything about any of this mess. <laughs> yeah. So so we're constantly. Um, helping people ride the liturgy with training wheels. And um, so for me, the idea of seasons, uh, the, the liturgical calendar um, is this wonderful curricula that has get, been given to, given to us uh, to help us more fully participate in Christ. Um, and it's interesting that it's not given as a book, but it's given as ways to keep time, ways to... Uh, yeah, ways to keep time. You have these seasons in the uh, in the life of the church that we can participate in. And I don't know, for whatever reason, one day it just occurred to me as I was trying to explain to a new person in the life of our community what the hell a liturgical season was. Mm -hmm. It occurred to me that season, um, there's a lot, you don't just have to think about seasons like fall or winter or whatever. Um, you can also think about seasons like what my spouse and I often do once the kids are actually asleep it's like hi how are you how was your day <laughs> let's open a bottle of wine and catch up on netflix and so yeah and then we'll, we'll just do that for for hours and that's really fun yeah. for us so so it just occurred to me that there's a way to think about the uh, liturgical calendar as seasons as well because um you know in the same way that like if you want to sit down at night to a new show and like skip ahead three seasons and pick a rando episode you can and you might be able to like you know remember a person's name or something they said but you're not having the exact same 
rich experience that someone else who has been like binging the whole thing all the way through because they're going to catch all of the allusions and callbacks and throwbacks and um and you just won't and what i learned is that even for churches who will say well we don't really do liturgy we don't do the whole liturgical calendar thing they will say well we we do christmas and easter and my contention is that what you you're just going into the you're going into Netflix and picking out two popular episodes mm-hmm. because Christmas and Easter aren't in the Bible. Um, Christmas and Easter are liturgical calendars. Yeah. Um, no, does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I really, I really liked it when I read that part. Too complex. Much too complex. Too complex. Much too complex. Too complex. Too too complex. Too 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 complex. Our Bible app is blowing up, y'all. And we need partners to help us continue doing this good, good work. We are in the process of starting unique relationships with potential partners. Could be you. We have 20 slots for the new year and would love to include your church, your podcast, your business, your publishing house or college. The list goes on. Email me at crystal at ourbibleapp.com if you think you'd like to know more about becoming a 2019 sponsor. Next, I'd like to say we are so excited for our new partnership with Barclay Press. Find 12 new titles on the app at the most reasonable prices starting next week. And now, back to the show. I loved it when I read that part because um, you're kind of reframing it for, 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 for people who are newbies, but also people who, I mean, I guess I'm talking about myself, not people. I constantly get asked as a Christian um, with my secular friends, what does Jesus have to do with it? You know, and like being able to say the concreteness of it is that it's, it's liturgy. Like there is actually, there's actually a role. There's, there's, there's a way that it unfurls itself each calendar year, you know, and that's how we tie in Easter. That's how we tie in Christmas, even though those words aren't actually in the Bible. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it gives us occasions to tell these stories, and not even to tell these stories, but in the language of the liturgy, we can do better than just tell stories. We can be full, active, conscious participants Mm, uh, in these realities. Um, (laughs) I'm stealing language from Vatican II. That's Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's all right. Keep going. (laughs) I mean... Yeah. So, I mean, that's the that's the opportunity. Right. So, like, for me, the reason that liturgy and sacraments have become so huge for me is because. um, uh, okay, I don't. Out with it. (laughs) My nerve. I don't remember if it's Cyril or Ambrose, but one of them said in their fourth century mystagogical catechetical reflections. (laughs) Wow. Um, I know. Uh, This is the weird world I live in. Uh, They said, don't confuse the reality with the uh, with the type. And what they're talking about is they're talking to people who had just been baptized. They say, you remember when you were baptized and those waters came on you and the oil ran rushing down uh, your head? Um, Don't confuse the real thing that happened with the type that helps you understand that. And what, what they meant by that is that um, the real thing that happened was you had a real encounter in a real community with a real God. 
And these Bible stories, like the Exodus, were there not as a way to say, um, like, so I grew up thinking that basically the Bible is this collection of stories about how God used to do real things with real people way back in the day. And today, that doesn't really happen. I don't (laughs) say that, but... Uh, so basically, we just kind of hope that like maybe every once in a while we can find a symbol that will give us meaning uh, uh, that will remind us of this cool stuff that God used to do. But actually, uh, you know, in the fourth century, they were saying it's exactly the opposite. The real thing that's happening is you're having a real encounter with God right here and then right here in this community. And we have these scriptures to help give us metaphors and to help us make meaning of the real thing that's actually happening right here and right now in our community. And I, I was just kind of, I don't know, I wanted a real encounter with a real God and a real community. I didn't want to just read about things that God might have done with someone else. Um, and so flipping that, um, uh, the type with the reality and making the encounters that we can have with God in a full, active, conscious, right now, right here way today, that's what I'm interested in. And mm-hmm. if these scriptures can help us um, with a framework or can enlarge our imagination to give us some metaphors to think through what God is doing here. Great. Yeah. Uh, but that's much more interesting to me than kind of the other way around saying, well, that's when God did cool stuff and we'll just try to come up with some. Yeah. I guess that's really interesting because like in, in the Adventist faith, I mean, the way that they describe it and that's, you know, my tradition uh-huh. is that they described it as God pulling away from the world, you know, and who wants to be left with like, the leftovers of the Holy Spirit when way back when they had, you know, mighty magical God and then Jesus in the flesh and we're left with like a Holy Ghost spirit that doesn't actually do anything, you know, quote unquote magical. Um, And I love what you're telling, what you're saying is like this, that what we have are the metaphors of the Bible coupled with our actual physical experience, you know, because... experiencing God is a very physical thing, you know, it is, it is. Yeah. We take, we take Eucharist every Sunday at Holy Family, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, and we, I'm constantly talking about like how sex itself is a very, like, it's a very spiritual thing. Right. And community is such a very physical and amazing thing. And God is there too. You know, I love it. Last last yeah. week on the pod, um, Laura Jean Truman talked about mm. how um, we need story in order to mm-hmm. to get us off of this thing, off of, out of this place where we're only just thinking about like the the granular here and now. You know, like we need this like story lubricant. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're saying too. I don't know if you've ever talked to Laura Jean Truman at all, but like it sounds like the messages are the same. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's exactly, I mean, that sounds, those ideas are very resonant. Um, That's what the liturgy provides. It provides you uh, a very weird new world to occupy that will actually ground you and enflesh you even more into this life with God that you've imagined before. Yeah. It's, um, it's like, uh, I'm trying to like, uh, relate it to like virtual reality or something like that because it's, it's, it's a ride. It's an experience. It's like a, it's a whole new, 
a whole or a, a age old thing that people are now manifesting in like technology. This like oh, being wow. alive in a world that you're not actually in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay, so um, I'm going to read you a paragraph of your own work because I really love this paragraph. Um, um, One of Advent's greatest gifts is to introduce us to Mother Mary. Mary is the burning bush come alive. She is filled with the presence of God in her womb, yet she is not destroyed. Like, like my brain just blew up. Mary is the Mm. temple come alive. She is the place where the presence of God has taken up residence. Advent Mm. invites us to take on this young woman's optic burn with the presence of God in us so that we too may begin to see a world where injustice is transformed into justice. Yeah. Can you talk me through some of that? Like I'm (laughs) Mm. really excited about like these like juicy, juicy words. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, you yeah. got optic burn. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, I don't know. Um, uh, the footnotes that I see on that are um, uh, Sergey Bulgakov and Willie Jennings. Um, they've, you know, they're probably the ones who helped me. Um, the Orthodox tradition um, is just this beautiful is this beautiful image that says when we're not confusing the type with the reality again, I say, well, what, you know, what are you supposed to do with a story about a God who's just, you know, burned up this bush, but hasn't destroyed it. Uh Oh, I see. Um, that's meant to help us open up imaginative theological space to imagine that God, um, you know, has like taken up residence in, uh, you know, yeah. A, a teenage mother's womb. Um, and if God has come uh, to be that close with us, then uh, um, then these images are there um, so that God can take a precedence in us as well. Um, and I just I don't know when I when I read about Mother Mary and the you know the Magnificat, uh, her vision for a world uh, is a really radical one. Um, you know, you, it's kind of, to me, you just kind of get the idea. Oh, I see. This is where Jesus learned all this stuff. Right. Oh, <laughs> you know, uh, you have this, young, right. You have this young woman who, uh, you know, is, uh, is fleeing oppression, um, and is pregnant. And when she, you know, cries out to God and the liturgy, by the way, puts her, this Magnificat in daily prayer every single day, you know, we all, um, by participating in Jesus's holy family, get to participate with Mother Mary. And, you know, we learn that, you know, this is a world where um, those who are arrogant and proud and powerful, um, I don't know, you can listen to your mother and call that out for the charade that it is and to say that's not real power. And, you know, she has a vision for a world where, um, you know, the ones who have been treated like shit aren't anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just um, love that so much. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. And I mean, it's, I mean, I, that idea that, you know, Jesus was who he was because of his mother, like that mm. is something that I hadn't even like started to grasp at. Um, mm. This idea mm-hmm. of her just being such a, a powerful and woke woman that she's yes. the one that taught her son those ideas. She's the one. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, to see a world where injustice is transformed into justice. Yeah. You know, like a lot, I'm thinking now, um, so much of the, like when you, like if you Google icons of Pentecost, you know, and the story Jesus has blasted off, right? And they're kind of waiting for the spirit to descend. Um, but in most Pentecost icons, Mother Mary is in the upper room waiting for the spirit to descend. And she's in the middle of the room. And when the spirit descends, um, the spirit descends on her body again. And it totally makes sense, right? Because it's like the first time that spirit descended upon uh, a body uh, and filled um, it was Mother Mary, right? Yeah. And so uh, in the same way, now that the Spirit needs to descend again um, on on us, everyone else in that upper room had no clue what that was like. like that sounds kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, Mother, can you take yeah. the lead? <laughs> can, can we, you've been through this before. Um, and she is the one who uh, embodies for us what it means to... Um, I don't know, to oh. to receive the gifts this that is God so cool. is wanting to give. Yeah, I guess like in in my upbringing, you know, it was it was always just like Mary and Joseph were just, you know, pawns in this whole like Christmas story. It was all about Jesus's birth. Jesus came, Jesus came and yeah, and I mean like that yeah, Jesus was a huge part of it, but then the other part is like Mary did all the labor, you know, and the raising <laughs> for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jacob, I just, there's another podcast I like. It's called, um, uh, call your girlfriend and look it up. Call your girlfriend. It's like this, it's a really feminist. It's like these two best friends who yeah. don't live in the same area anymore. So they used to just call each other like, oh, uh, yeah. like every week or every month. And then they turned it into a podcast. So they are just talking to That's each other. And, and I mean, the stuff they're talking about, is just like so awesome. So they had a guest on who, uh, who goes about, um, documenting not history, but her story. Yeah. That one. Cool. Um, documenting her story. So she goes to, she goes to all of these places in, in history with her research and she finds yeah. where there was a very important man or they mm. find where a woman had like, who was mentioned, but they didn't really talk about why she was mentioned. And she just mm -hmm. like figures out like all of the things that yeah. she did, you know, yeah. And yeah. you realize that these women who were just kind of like poo-pooed and like placed around in history were just like mammoths, Amazonian women yes. of like their times. And one yeah. of those is she talks about um, uh, George Washington and how historians oh. just love George Washington. He could yeah. do no wrong. But then yeah. when they talk about his mother, who he lived with for a long time, who raised him, they, they poo-poo her in the same way, but... This uh, this historian, her historian, was able to show like that George Washington's mother was another one of those like like mammoth women who yeah, rode a horse and like a shotgun and had had like <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. was constantly talking out of turn because she was a woman and um, probably cut down an apple tree first or something like that. I don't know. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. 
Yeah. But, but I love that throughout your, your, your devotional, you are mm. reminding us of the bigness of Mary in this story. Like, it's just like... Yeah, she's there. It's so on point. Um, yeah. And Okay, I'm going to read an, um, one more piece. And it's... Okay. Um, okay. In the smallness and the poverty and the fragility of the life of Jesus Christ, we see the mm. face of God. Here's the good news of Christmas. Looking into the face of, the, of a poor Jewish baby born to an unwed teenage mother is looking into the face of God. If we want to see God, perhaps we ought to look in the right places with the poor. I mm. am begging to ask, mm. are you talking about things that are happening right now, current events? <laughs> How political is this supposed to be read? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, that's fun. Uh, to me, that's the beauty of the liturgy. Uh, it is always. Um, it is always a critique of empire. Mm. <laughs> it just always is. Um, uh, yeah, that's... Yeah, I would say yes. I mean, and this is true. Uh, it will... If, you know... You know, who... If someone still reads this five years from now, uh, whatever the statement is, or you know, whatever um, whatever evil and justice and oppression is occurring at that time, it'll still be true then as well. Yeah, because yeah. the, the first thing that comes to mind, and you're you're in Texas, you know, are are the I don't I don't use the word abominations abomination freely because of the way that it's been used against me, but it, it is an abomination what is happening. At the border, yes. especially yes, now when we're in this holiday season, when we're supposed to be going over the top, giving, being in that space, <laughs> yes. you know, yeah. and we're worshiping, you know, uh, an immigrant. Uh, the second person of the Trinity became, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. It's just evil. Yeah, like J Jesus's parents, so Mary and Joseph were actually leaving you know, yes. a war-ridden territory, a place where they were not yeah. welcome. And, yeah. and they didn't get tear gassed. They didn't um, get tear gassed. Oh, yeah. we can't, we can't go there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But Christ is there. Um, and so we got to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in your seven-day devotional, you walk yeah. through Advent, Christmas, uh, Epiphany, Lent, and you you end in um, ordinary time or kingdom yep. tide. Um, yep. What is it that you want people to take away from this piece? Hmm. Huh. So even though it is... A, um, it's a reflection on the liturgy and the liturgical calendar. There's still lots of Bible in it, right? Yeah. Um, and I think what I would hope folks would do is that um, they would take away that the liturgy is a way, not the only way, but a way um, to help you learn to take the Bible seriously, but not literally. Uh, and that's, that's real. I just think that's one of the things that we've got to do is 
a church right now is really help people figure out that if you take the Bible seriously, you probably won't take it literally. Um, and I at least grew up in a con context where that was the opposite. And so I think the liturgy really, um, you know, following the liturgical calendar, uh, the way that the liturgical calendar engages with Bible um, can show you ways to take it really seriously, but not in a way that handcuffs you to a literalism that, um, you know, keeps the powerful powerful and the oppressed oppressed. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, that's to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah. What do you hope for it? Hmm. I guess why well, hope that people are able to see what you see, that, you know, that the Bible in this way and through this liturgical lens, like, really is as close to us as you say it is. You know, I just feel like even with the word liturgy, sometimes it can just make the Bible seem even farther away. You know, like, there's just, like, one... One more piece of dogma that you have to, you know, um, <laughs> that, you, that you have to digest before you can fully understand the goodness of the of the Bible. But yeah. you're telling me, at least, the exact opposite. That oh yeah, yeah that like no, this is this is this is um, not a uh, not an appetizer too, but a thing that. <laughs> I'm trying to be like you and use metaphors. So it is, it, it's not an appetizer. It is more like a condiment that goes along with it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yes. And it yeah. had to be food related because I'm me. So there you go. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I mean, that, that really resonates with something that I, you know, I have a spiel that I say at the beginning of every liturgy at Holy Family. It's that um, uh, you don't have to be a Christian to participate in this community. And if you're expecting a religious experience where you sit back and watch somebody else perform something for you, uh, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, this is a um, – you're not invited to watch this liturgy. You are invited to co-create this liturgy together with us and with God. Yeah. And so um, being a full co-creator um, – mm is not actually dependent upon you signing off on particular dogmas. Simply by being in the room, you are co-creating this with us. And so, yeah, that, uh, that really resonates with me. So I hope that too. Yeah. Where can people find you? Where can people find your church? Where can they find you online to listen to your words? Uh, I'm not, my words, yeah, we don't like podcast sermons or anything. Um, You're on Twitter? Yeah, but I don't use. To, I'm really only on Twitter to follow like WWE stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, be honest. Yeah, no, I I might have sent a tweet recently. I don't recall. I'm really on Instagram's the best place to find me at Father Breeze. Um, but really, you know, the church is much more interesting than uh, than me. So follow the church. It's at Holy Family HTX um, because you know we just have so many unbelievable humans that are co-creating that community and we tell their stories on the instagram and um that's really where you should be okay yeah out so um that's a beautiful beautiful community and um even though i got there first i'm still proud to be a part of it because it's so amazing so i love your spirit it's just so contagious (laughs) (laughs) no it's just so like bright and open like thank you so much thank you for um taking the time to jump on the podcast with me Oh, I'm really honored by your invitation. Um... <laughs>
Isn't Jacob dope? Uh, he also has the coolest beard I've ever seen this side of Harry Potter. <laughs> I hope he doesn't hate me for that. Find out more about Jacob and other authors on ourbibleapp.com. Check out our author lineup and fireside chats as well. Friday we'll be chatting with Lindsay Medford and I hope you'll join us because the fireside chats are so, so fun and intimate. Sign up at ourbibleapp.com slash let's dash chat. I'm Crystal Cheatham and you can find me on Twitter at Crystal Cheatham and uh, I'll catch you guys next week. Okay, bye!